0: Inside the Cohab Podcast studio space, under the Texas Street Bridge by the Red River in downtown Shreveport, Louisiana, and this is the 3180 Podcast. What is going on in the 318? What is our current identity? Shreveporters can make this place into the city we want it to be. It's time for Shreveport to make a 180. Every Thursday, we are having conversations about doing just that. We're talking to people who are making the difference in our city. I'm Josh Clayton. And I'm Thomas John. Welcome to the 3-180 Podcast. Episode 6 of the 3-180 Podcast features Tim Huck. Tim Huck grew up in the Pizza King on King's Highway, which was his dad's restaurant. He could understand a P&L report by the time he was 9 years old with his dad's instruction. By the time he was 12, he could run payroll for the restaurant. He has owned the Phoenix Underground. He is a current proprietor of the Sandbar, and he is the chair of the Downtown Development Association, the Shreveport DDA also, if you're an entrepreneur interested in starting a grocery store in downtown Shreveport, Tim Huck thinks and says on this podcast that he knows how to turn a profit in that store, and I trust him. So uh, without any further ado, please welcome Tim Huck to episode number six. Good morning, Tim Huck. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Yourself? I am doing great. Um, for, the, uh, for the listeners out there, we, you and I have never met until this morning. That's correct. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell our listeners uh, where you're from, where'd you go to high school, and, w- and what you're all about here in town.
1: Um, I'm born and raised here in Shreveport, Louisiana. I went to high school at Captain Shreve. Um, grew up in South Shreveport. My family lived here my whole life. Uh, my father used to own a pizza place on King's Highway called Pizza King. So I kind of grew up in an uh, entrepreneurial family. Um, currently I own a sandbar in downtown Shreveport, TVH Construction, uh, which uh, were contractors who build custom homes, uh, Tim Huck Management, which uh, oversees rental properties and owns rental properties, and uh, HAH Investments, which does investments across Streetport Mosier in different areas, mostly uh, real estate related.
0: All right, and uh, in talking before the podcast, you indicated that you're the um, you're the chair you're the how are you involved with the DDA? Uh, currently, I'm the chairman of the board. Okay. Well, good. To you. How long have you been with the DDA? Uh, three years. All right. Doing good things for downtown.
1: I really, uh, I'm, I'm really excited about everything that's going on with the DDA at the present time.
0: Give us some examples. Of what do you, What do you like about what the DDA is doing, and what, what positive things do you see going on downtown?
1: Well, we'll start with when I first got on the DDA. The point was to find out what they are doing. Okay. Uh, to, uh, to really get into what they do. Um, One of you know, we we obviously our main goal is to uh, promote market and be ambassadors for downtown Shreveport. Uh, Liz Swain does an absolutely amazing job of keeping people informed of what's going on downtown, of trying to entice uh, businesses, whether it be uh, local businesses or people from out of state, to come in and invest in the downtown Shreveport, and then very uh, making sure that we give support to. Um, businesses that do and people who do invest their money in downtown
0: Shreveport. That's awesome. So, how, how did you get involved in so many uh, different activities as, as an entrepreneur? What I mean, you, you you fix up houses, you flip some houses, that kind of thing. Um, if you want to know the truth, uh, at 26,
1: I was uh, I had one business, a locksmith company that I ran uh, solely, uh, and it was doing really really well. And uh, I hit a, a bump in the road, a downturn, and it really just destroyed me financially and so what happened is I made a decision at that point the next time I get going again I wasn't going to put all my eggs in one basket so I started learning a lot about a lot of different stuff and that's how I got into doing uh, multiple things to
0: uh, produce revenue. So did you start that locksmith business yourself? Yes sir. Wow where was it located? It was on King's Highway. All right. I just called it Round the clock locksmith. Is it still in business? Uh, No
1: I sold it many years ago and they've closed it since.
0: Well, Chase Boydum threw you under the bus and Chase told me that I needed to have you on the podcast to talk about how to make a 180 in the 318. Uh, so what, I'll, I'll get more specific here, but what was your first, I think he mentioned that, that you had uh, Phoenix Underground. Was that your first venture into the bar business?
1: Um, that was my first venture into being self-employed in the bar business. I actually managed uh, Mojo's, Malibu Beach Club, Rock and Rodeo, um, and uh, worked for multiple other bars before owning mine. Oh well, how would you get into the management side of the bar business? I started out at the bar in the bar business, sweeping floors and dumping trash
0: cans. I literally started on the bottom and worked up to the top. When you were a teenager, you were, you were at the bar at, at 18, 19 years old. Okay, well, Chase, Chase started at that age in the bar business too. Everybody wants to own a bar. I, I every, expect, every law every Every, every law school thinks student. They want to own a bar. <laughs> to, what did you learn about the bar? And you're still in the bar business. So, what do you wish you'd have known about the bar business before you got involved?
1: Um, you know, unfortunately, I I, I can't say much. I, if you'd asked me at 15 years old what I wanted to do for a living, I'd have told you I wanted to own a nightclub. Um, and so, but by the time I put my own money in and, and, and got to where I'm at, I already knew the. The, the good, the bad, and the ugly of the business because I'd worked in it in every job you could have. I'd been a floor walker. I'd been a door guy. I'd been a bartender. I'd been a bar back. I'd been a DJ. There wasn't many jobs in the bar that I had not done. So there's not a lot that I could say I wish I knew before I put my money in because I, it, if anything I don't like about the business, I, if I didn't know it,
0: I should have known it. That's right. Okay. So, Everybody wants to own a bar. What, <laughs> what, what's the first, what's the first thing that people need? To, I mean, like, somebody comes to you with this bar idea. It's a great new, the sexy downtown cocktail bar, the the cool new concept. What, what do you ask? What questions do you ask that person to figure out if they know what they're talking
1: about? Um, the first question I ask is, what's it going to cost to um, design and build it out? Um, the average person has no concept of what that is. Someone will come to me and be like, I think we can do this for fifty dollars or $60,000, and I'm looking at it and see, you know, uh, $200,000. And so, a lot of people come with great ideas, and they do have some great ideas. Unfortunately, you have to have the, you have to be able to make enough money to justify the expense, and most people's ideas are much bigger than this area.
0: Okay, and what do you mean by that? Um,
1: someone goes over to Dallas and sees a a club or a promotion idea uh, just something that they want to do and they come back here and they want to duplicate it 100% and you know you can't duplicate it 100% because you know a drink in downtown Shreveport is let's say a a Crown & Coke for seven dollars a drink in the entertainment districts in Dallas the same Crown & Coke is twelve dollars so I, and, and the number of customers that they have potential to get compared to the number of customers we have potential to get. I'm not saying you can't make money here, not saying not to not to do them. I'm saying make sure that you scale to model, make sure you know the market that you're after and, and you know they're like, well, but you've got plenty of, of people who go over to Dallas and, and I go, there's not enough of them that here every single night to go out.
0: When they and, and when they go to Dallas, they, they kind of have a different mindset. They have a vacation mindset or a more money-spending weekend mindset than what they have when they come to downtown Shreveport?
1: Well, or, they not just have a more money-spending mindset. Anytime you go out of town, you obviously spend more money. But you also go out of town with the mindset that I'm going to have a blast tonight. I'm going to have a good time. I'm going over here, and we're just going to have fun. And when you walk out of your house with that mindset— you, one, are, uh, you spend your money more freely, and two is you generally have a better time. We have a lot of people who, who go out here and they're just like, well, we're, we're stuck in Shreveport. And first of all, you're not stuck in Shreveport. You can go anywhere you want, but stuck in Shreveport's not the worst thing in the world. We actually have a lot going on here, a lot of great things. Um, you, know, you can be entertained. Um, you know, I own the sandbar. We have the vault downstairs. We have the dance floor the sandbar in the vault is not for everyone I, you know I, I get people who you know your, your, your Shreveport haters who, who want to hit on something someone else is doing because they don't like it, it, it it's not, not every place is for everyone you know, uh, Strange Brew is not for everyone they have their, their, their customer base uh, Chase's place is not for everyone but for those that like it they really like it so if you don't like the place you'll find somewhere else to go but there is a, there's plenty to do
0: here. I, I agree with you. What about your market at, at Sandbar versus the market at, well, I, let's rewind a little bit. When you, What year did you get into the Phoenix Underground?
1: Um, 13 years ago, so, what are we? Um, 06? Yes,
0: 06. And that's when it was built out and opened for business?
1: Uh, I built it out in 05 and opened up in January of 06.
0: Well, what what convinced you that that particular underground club concept could work in downtown Shreveport?
1: Um, at that particular time, I had just left Rock and Rodeo. I had been with them for three years, and they were uh, they were thriving. Uh, you had Chicago's was doing really well um, in downtown at the time, and there was really the only big nightclub was Rock and Rodeo. And the market was, was different than it is now. Um, people were were starving for something to do. They they were they were looking for entertainment and uh, we were able to provide it. Now, you have to remember, this is pre-social media, and you would, it's weird that just 13 years ago is pre-social media. A year and a half into Phoenix Underground, we did the first MySpace party in Shreveport, Louisiana. Um, you know, a couple years later is when Facebook took over. And so it's kind of changed the market, changed what the nightclub industry is, but prior to that, you still needed to go out to interact with people. And so when Phoenix opened up, There was still a need for a place to go, and you had to go places to interact.
0: I got you. So, but I'll say this. I went there in probably, I thought it was earlier than 06, but it must have been 06, I think, or maybe 07. I thought, I distinctly remember being in law school, but I was out of law school by 06, but had some out-of-town friends. We were up here for New Year's Eve or something like that. And we went to the, we went, it was completely different than anything else that I'd seen in Shreveport.
1: And that was the goal is to uh, is to be different than anything in Shreveport. I wanted to be a little more upscale, a little nicer. Uh, I wanted to provide uh, more of your um, bigger city entertainment
0: on a budget. Okay. All right. Did that work? It worked extremely well. Yeah. What... How many folks will come through your place on a weekend? I mean, do you, do you remember the, the? Do you have the metrics on that kind of stuff?
1: In the heyday, you would put uh, between Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, you'd put 2,600, 2,700 people through the door at an average RPH of $29
0: average at 29? Yes. Wow. Okay, and you had to, like the private rooms, and did y'all do the bottle service and all that club type yes. stuff?
1: Yes. Yeah, you did bottle service, you did, uh, we had VIP areas, uh, you know, you, all of those, but all that figures into the average, the one person spent $10, the other person spends 100 it all figured up into that.
0: So you, I mean, at that point, you're taking business away from the casinos, I think.
1: Um, actually, I think we were uh, not necessarily taking business away from the casinos because all the casino hosts that I knew would bring people down there. We were giving them the opportunity to, to to entertain their their players, and still keep them, get them to come in town and have more to do than just go to the casino.
0: Okay, well, that's a misconception that I've probably had, and other people have too. Like a, a club like Phoenix Underground is in direct competition with um, not just Allure, but also uh, what's the other one. It's- Celebrity. Celebrity. So, I mean, were those open at the time? Well, at
1: that time, they were not what they are now. Okay. At that time, they were were open, but they weren't doing what they are now, and it wasn't called a lure. It was celebrity, but it wasn't—they weren't necessarily the nightclubs they turned into. I think they actually—El Dorado decided that they didn't like their customer going over to Phoenix— Partially because they were spending money with me, but more importantly because when they leave that building, there's a possibility they go to a different casino instead of going back to, El Dorado. So they eventually built nightclubs to compete with Phoenix Underground. But when I first got in the business, they were not.
2: Okay, it sounded like they just kind of took your your idea and scaled it to to well, hey, let's take, let's see what he's doing, and then put it right here so they don't have to go out the door.
1: Well, mixed with their, uh, their, their uh, bank account uh, yeah. is a lot uh, nicer than mine. Yeah. And they can have one customer who goes into there and leaves there and goes to the casino and pays for their whole night of Celebrity. They pay for all their entertainment, they can bring in the bigger name DJs, they can do other things because their budget doesn't necessarily have to just operate off of Celebrity. They got the casino's budget.
0: Well. The casinos were open and you could get drinks at a casino when you opened uh, Phoenix, right? Correct. So, what did you learn about the Shreveport market? And I mean, maybe it's changed in 13 years, but what did you learn about the Shreveport market in 06 and what it's like to compete with the casino and what, what it takes to attract someone through 2,700 people per weekend through your door, people that are going to spend $29 on average?
1: Um, the biggest thing it takes is. Uh, Giving them a reason, a sense of urgency to come out tonight. Given and and rule number one in in my particular industry, in the nightclub industry, throw the best party. If you walk in and you feel like you can't have a person leaving and feel like they spent more money than the time that they had, than the quality of time they had, the value they they've got to feel like they got a value for their their dollar. Um, people will pay for experience, and 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 if you have if you provide. A good enough experience people will
0: spend the money for it okay what will everybody in Shreveport come downtown to spend that money or certain people are more receptive to not not just the nightclub idea but different other ideas too that you might have had over the years um
1: uh, not everyone will come downtown not everyone will go to other places in Shreveport not everyone will will you know spend the money some people you know everyone's gonna work their budget differently um, and then when you get into downtown Shreveport, we, we, we have a perception problem in downtown, so you're going to have a lot of people who won't come downtown because of the perception. We, we don't necessarily have a crime problem in downtown Shreveport, and the reason I say that is because the stats say that. The, uh, in all the areas in Shreveport, downtown is technically the safest by the crime rates itself, right. if, if you look at all the stats. But we have a perception problem and in the majority of people's mind perception is reality so if you perceive something to be unsafe it's unsafe if you make a decision that that's not a place you need to be then there's nothing I can do I can show you all the stats in the world I can show you the thousands of people that come downtown every weekend that never get in a fight that never get arrested that never have a problem that never get shot at never get stabbed never get beat up nothing happens to them but your perception is still gonna be what it's gonna be. And so um, sometimes we have to deal with those issues. Uh, I have found over the years that if you give them enough of a reason to come, they'll come, and then they'll get they'll find out that their perception's wrong.
0: Okay. How do you get people to come out of that casino hotel and come to your bar rather than go to the casino bar?
1: Um, again, provide a better entertainment and then um you have to have more um and different it's got to be what they're looking for but over a period of time now celebrity and allure did hurt my business really 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 bad and uh, probably cut it in half so at some point they did build up to to being what they are now Uh, before that you know, we built a reputation for being the number one place in town, the place to be and be seen, the place to go. And so people wanted to be NBC and be seen, they wanted to go. Um, the rough side of our industry, of the business that I do, top 40 uh, mainstream customer is not a super loyal customer. Okay, Their uh, their loyalty is, is very slim and I'll give some great examples of that. Um, the general mainstream individual buys the nicest whatever kind of vehicle they can afford. They don't necessarily stick with a brand Um, compared to, say, country bars. If you notice, a country bar will last forever. Mm -hmm. Well, a country bar, um, a guy who grew up in the country, he drives a Ford pickup truck. His daddy drove a Ford pickup truck. When he trades in his pickup truck, he's buying another Ford. If I have a Bud Light or a Milli Light and I'm giving mill Light for a dollar, and Bud Light's two seventy five, and he drinks Bud Light, he's drinking Bud Light because he's he's brand loyal. Uh, you know, if he wears Levi's, he wears Levi's. If he wears Wranglers, he wears Wranglers, and they're very loyal individuals. In the top forty customer base, what do you mean, mainstream?
0: What do you mean by the top forty customer base? <clears throat> that um,
1: the customer base that I was going for for at Phoenix, <clears throat> the the mainstream, the kind of. Um, the The more that, that's going to listen to your more top forty, your right. mainstream music, your um, you don't you don't necessarily want to say your. Um what? Trying to, trying to think, what
0: they're, they're more into, whatever's cool than whatever their dad did or whatever right. they're, they're, into, they're loyal to. They're
1: into now, okay? They're into today, they're into that makes a lot know, of sense. Uh, you look at uh, city lights or any of those, and you see one that says the place to be and be seen, they're the ones who need to be there. Uh, that particular person is, is going to the newest thing, it's uh, you know, whatever glitters and shines the most is where they're headed, uh, right then at that moment. Uh, compared to your country. So at some point, uh, Celebrity become, they they remodeled, they changed up what they were doing, and they become the newest thing. And so at that point, they become very difficult. And the only way I would have been able to uh, take that customer back is to close down, remodel, and become the newest thing again.
0: Okay. And, and bring in pretty big acts every single weekend on that budget? Well, <laughs> like, well,
1: it, well, the problem is is that I could never compete with what they were bringing in. They could bring in a national named DJ who uh, cost uh, them what they did in sales that night. I mean, they brought in some bands that, that literally uh, cost them what they did in, in sales. But again, one person that, that wants to hear that band that actually gambles, Walks off, takes a right instead of a left, and pays for their whole night.
0: Right. Well, you opened up in 06, and um, at, w- at what point or what year did Eldorado turn turn their clubs into clubs that competed with yours?
1: Um, probably 2000. 2000- 12-ish, 2012
0: 2000. 12, okay, so you had a pretty good run where you didn't have direct competition from the casino. Correct. All right. And it probably, having the casinos there probably helped your business for that period of time.
1: The casinos definitely helped our business.
0: Okay, And would you equate some of the, the casino customers to the Phoenix Underground customers, like the same people that want to come in from out of town and go gamble, or the same people that would have liked the Phoenix Underground, but they were caught up with Allure and Celebrity? Um, yes,
1: but that's pro- that's not the biggest downside to what where why Phoenix went away. Okay, um, why Phoenix went away had very little to do with the casinos the, because only the that's only that one casino. We were still picking up your players from um, from other casinos in town.
0: Okay, have the others turned their clubs into club bar type
1: places? No, um, they they focus more on the gaming. Now Horseshoe did try to do the pool. Um, in, in kind of the Vegas style, uh, high end club type pool, but it didn't really take off in this market the way they wanted it to.
0: That's the, the Dare, the Dare Daytime Day Club? Yes. Yeah, You've never been there, Thomas? I've never been there. Okay, it's your scene, and you should go. Okay,
2: I will. I'll All look right. into it.
0: All right. Um, so, Margaritaville, I mean, they were, when Phoenix had closed by the time Margaritaville popped up. Right? Um,
1: I think Phoenix was closing, I think Margaritaville opened right before Phoenix closed.
0: What year was that?
1: Um, Phoenix closed in uh, 2016.
0: Okay. Um, earlier, before we started recording, you and I talked about some of the reasons Phoenix faded away. Do you feel like getting into that kind of stuff? Um, or
1: not? Well, uh, yeah. My lease came up, and uh, it's owned by a company that was outside of Shreveport-Bossier. Um, and the uh, I wanted to buy the building Um, or I wanted the lease to be cheap enough to justify me putting my... Uh, the amount of money I was going to have to put in the building to kind of uh, revitalize it, to change it, to to make it the the newest, most shiny, the place to be and be seen again. And,
0: and to be clear, in 05, you put plenty of money into that building that wasn't yours. Oh, uh, correct. Okay. Yes. Based on a lease provision. R- f-
1: correct. Uh, based on an opportunity that I thought I was going to have to purchase
0: the right. property. That didn't. It came. Did not come to fruition as you thought it was going it, to. It, it did not work out for All me. Right. Um, Fair enough.
1: I'll I'll uh, I'll take some blame on that for not doing proper due diligence and. Yeah. Uh, and call it a, a life lesson that I learned um, down the road.
0: But Phoenix didn't close because you were not making money or anything. Phoenix, no, uh,
1: yeah. Phoenix closed because the lease was up, and I chose not to uh, renew it and and be on the hook. Uh, I will say that the business had dropped down, but at no point in time did Phoenix Underground ever lose money.
0: Wow. So you know how to make money in the bar and restaurant business, or at least in the bar business.
1: Um, uh, so far, I've, I've done pretty well with it.
0: <laughs> not a lot of people can say that. Yeah. A lot of people have gotten involved in bars and haven't made a profit on it. Well,
1: the first thing they have to realize is that they're there to, to make money and not party. And the majority of people who want to be in the bar business want to be in the party
0: makes sense don't get
1: trashed on your own stash correct it's hard to uh it's hard to be um paying attention to your bartenders and making sure that the money's hitting the cash register it's hard to make sure that the djs are doing what they're supposed to be doing when you're worried about you getting your next drink um you know that's uh when i'm in my building i'm watching everything that happens
0: well yeah let's talk about that you you're in the building you know at, till whatever time of the morning making sure everything's going right Is um, that normally
1: now um, sandbar my nephew has uh, gotten old enough he's turned 27 graduated college and uh, has worked his way up into being my manager over okay. at Sandbar now so I'm in the building a lot less because I'm doing so much more during the day but
0: but then you've got a family member that you trust and that you've trained up 100%. Okay, so tell me, how many days a week was Phoenix open? Uh, Phoenix was open uh, when we first
1: opened, we were open four days a week. We narrowed it down to three, and the last five years of it, it was only open on Friday and Saturday.
0: Okay, well, in the last five or six years, you'd learned a lot of lessons from it, and you're still open Friday till six in the morning, Saturday till six in the morning, something like that? Oh, uh, well, or are you, I mean, well, back then. Back then, yes. How many days of. If you're open eight days a month, how many days are you in that building till daylight?
1: Oh, when Phoenix was open for the 10 years Phoenix was open, I was there uh, from open to close or from close to open to close uh, every day it was open.
0: So this isn't a set-it-and-forget-it business model?
1: Oh, no. No, unfortunately. Yeah. And and I designed Phoenix, unfortunately, the way I designed it was for me personally to operate it and run it.
0: Because you knew what to look for. Because
1: I knew exactly what I was looking for. Now, Sandbar on the... On the uh, I designed to have a manager run.
0: Okay. What's the difference in designing those two uh, um, processes?
1: Some of it is um, even to the layout of what I can teach a manager to do compared to what I do, uh, the uh, procedures that I need them to follow so that I can go back and look and see what happened throughout the night without ever having been in the building to where I I position the cameras, the the, the whole scheme is the difference if I set it up for me to run it or if I set it up for a manager to run it.
2: Okay. And is that, at the time... Is that because you have a certain... Uh, there's something that you're going to look for that's hard to encourage a manager to look for?
1: Well, there's something I'm going to look for that's hard to encourage a manager to look for. There's also... Uh, there's a difference in the way I'm going to take care of a customer to how a manager is going to take care of a customer uh, to me. Um, When I walk up to the bar, a bartender finds themselves wanting to stop taking care of customers and take care of me, and I'm the first one to tell them, wait a minute, take care of the customer. The customer is going to be the one who buys the drinks. People who own businesses get confused quite often on who the VIP is. When I'm in Sandbar, I'm not the VIP. If I never walk foot in the building, never at all, but my employees are there and take care of business, the place could stay open forever. If my customers never walk in the building, yet I'm in the building from open to close every day of the week, it will not stay open. So who's the VIP? And it's kind of how to design and teach a manager that. It's really difficult to do.
2: Is it easier to do if they're related to you? Um,
1: it's easier to do when you've raised them, yes. Okay. Uh, but uh, he was also uh, raised, my nephew was raised in the in the service industry. His dad owned the Pizza King uh, after my father. And, uh, and so he'd been in the uh, service industry and the restaurant business and bar business for a long time. So he's kind of uh, understand. And he spends a lot of time with me kind of listening to etymologies uh, or uh what what my idea is and and why I operate the way I do.
0: Well, okay, so you brought up Pizza King and Pizza King was pretty awesome. you grew up in that restaurant? Yes, sir. And your dad had you working in that restaurant from a young age. And and what did he teach you while you were working in there?
1: Um, you know, uh
0: the, my dad never threw a football
1: with me or baseball with me. Didn't teach me those items. However, uh, at seven years old, I could balance a checkbook. Uh, he taught me uh, a P and L, so I understood that just because it hit their cash register and someone paid it to us, it wasn't our money. And I probably had that understanding by nine, and I could do payroll by the time I was eleven years old. Um, and so, you know, the things that I, um, the, the real important things in life that I use today. Um, I learned from him sitting next
0: to him uh, while he was doing his work. What was his name? Uh, Robert Huck. He went by Bob. So where OK Cleaners is now, and you remember where Leon Smoked Turkey was, where was Pizza King, to refresh my memory? uh, 136 East King's Highway. It's uh,
1: it's, Okay, it's right in between OK's and Leon's on the opposite side of the street. If you... um,
2: the, right next to the uh, Kung Fu studio. Right, that's right. Next, that's right, right next right. to the Kung is. Fu. Yep.
1: Uh Yes, uh, and actually, uh, King's Hardware just made it in the newspaper today, or a couple of days ago, about it's possibly closing. But if you remember, it used to be on the corner before it moved onto Erie Drive. It was on King's Highway. It was in the same strip center as the Pete's King was in.
0: Okay, I did, I, I remember that. Right
1: across the street from George's Grill. That's from right. Mercatus mm-hmm. is a, a
0: another great. Uh, I lived over forms. there from 2013 till last year and i could i I, when brocata's went through different ownership whether it was w's whatever when george's was still open i could walk to those places i could walk to Strawn's. i I still love that area i mean
2: i think it's great Um, and and the pizza king had like a really specific their product was very specific like it was a pizza that no one else had that's
1: correct Uh, it was a pizza that that you weren't getting from anyone else my uh, my dad made the dough from scratch um a large percent he actually uh for a while made a sauce from scratch and then he finally started getting it made out but it was his recipe he uh he born and raised in new york and he brought a a a traditional style pizza
2: i I remember i had like two friends that they had they were both huge pizza you know like in grade school or whatever there would be this huge fight about like you know where are we getting pizza from Here or that, you know, is Johnny's better? No, we have to go like it was Pizza King, Pizza like, and then there became this little group that was like, that's all they ate. Like -hmm. they wouldn't eat any, you know, because everybody's like, oh Johnny, you know, Johnny's is the local whatever, but it's not like like Pizza King was. Had
1: it stayed open, it it would still be. And the building is now available again. I will not lie and say that I have not looked at it a half a dozen times and thought about it, but. I'm almost scared that it'll be an emotional purchase instead of a business purchase, and the, that's the only reason why I hadn't pulled the trigger.
0: Yeah, there were probably far fewer pizza options back in Shreveport during the Pizza King days. Even it might it might still be the best pizza in town, but now there's a pizza place on every corner. You
1: you also um, at that time there wasn't the five dollar pizza everywhere, and you know uh, I can't make a Pizza King pizza for five dollars. Yeah much less sell it for 5 What's
2: your favorite pizza in town right now?
1: Um, well, I'm actually making a Pizza King pizza at Sandbar again, so I have to use, say, uh, that's my favorite pizza. Can you get it at the, the window? You can get it at the window okay. uh, from uh, 7 p.m. till 6.30 a.m., or you can get it delivered if you're within five miles of downtown Shreveport.
2: Yeah, I live in the American Tower. Oh, well, so. they'll, they'll bring it over to All you. All right. Yes, that's so you can old, get it <laughs> in
1: the, and, uh, and that's uh, something new. It just started about uh, three months ago I brought in. And um, I will not lie; it's not one hundred percent the original recipes, but it's as close as I could get. And uh, and it did take me two months before I actually served the first pizza.
2: That's <laughs> I'm I'm excited. <laughs> Who's making the dough? Um,
1: it's actually, uh, well, I found a company that, that makes it and sells it in balls yeah. for us, and uh, I went through 12 or 13 different doughs before I found the one that
0: I would use. So you roll it out, you make it into a, a pizza dough, and then you put it together, or an employee puts well, it together.
1: Yeah, um, and I went through multiple cheeses, multiple, I mean, I changed my pepperonis like five different times.
0: <laughs> right. oh, getting back to Pizza King growing up in there, what did your dad teach you about customer service?
1: Um... Well, um, again, the first thing he taught me was that without a customer, we will not stay in business. We, we, we can't pay our bills. This is how we pay our bills. So um, I, I will not say that he taught me the customer is always right. As much as uh, I, I love to preach that to my employees, unfortunately, it's just not right. It's just not factual. Um, but that, that you need to figure out how to get the customer satisfied at least. Um, not necessarily. Do, do you have to figure that they were right? You just have to understand that an unsatisfied customer will cost you money. And so um, he taught me that you have to bend over backwards
0: and make sure that you satisfy the customer, even when they're totally wrong. Even if even if they're totally wrong. So how do you how do you imbue that same sense of urgency to satisfy clientele to your to your employees now, or, or how do you attempt to, I should
2: say?
1: Um, Really by by those exact words, but also um, when, when I have a customer complaint, uh, first of all, I have to take every customer complaint seriously. And so my staff knows that if I get a complaint, I'm going to take the customer complaint seriously. Uh, I try to put myself out there to where customers can get in touch with me between social media, my cell phone that's never changed. I've had that same number forever. And then when I'm standing in the building, I make sure that I'm seen by everybody. Uh, so that they can if there's any issues they can be brought up to me which I explain to my employees that I'm gonna be the one dealing with them and you know when when I do have legit uh, complaints I uh, you know obviously we we uh, counsel the employees or you know worse write-ups to to termination and you know when one employee sees that that's the case all the rest of them kinda follow suit but you just have to explain it to them consistently Without a customer, we have no business. And in my particular industry, most of my employees are bartenders and waitresses and shot girls. Well, the paycheck I write them is basically, it's never a dollar. It's always a zero dollars, and I, all I did was pay their taxes for the money that they got in tips. Mm-hmm. So I explained to them that you know, when I come in, they want to take great care of me. They go over the top wanting to take care of me. Well, I hand them a zero dollar check. Yep. And the person standing in front of you is fixing to be the one who pays your bills. They're going to give you $2, $3, $5, $10. Whatever they're going to hand you is more than I'm handing you. I'm handing you a $0 check. So if you're going to bend over backwards to take care of me, don't you think you should bend over way yeah. farther yeah. And, and go way over the top for them if you're going to do it for me? And I, in this conversation I have quite often with all of my staff.
0: That's awesome. How do you... When you travel around, do you see towns that are doing a better job of customer service in Shreveport? Maybe as a, maybe the businesses in the town or the town itself. Do we need to improve on that?
1: Um, you know, there's always uh, room for improvement on on everything. I I believe that there. You know, if you walk in looking for what's wrong, you're going to find it. Um, you know, if you walk in looking for what's right, you're going to find that. So if I walk in looking for the person who's not doing it right, I'm looking, you know, if I just want to have a reason to have an attitude, I promise I can find one.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, if, if I wake up today and just want a reason to be upset, I can get a reason to be upset. If I walk into a place and, you know, I, I can take how someone says, you know, can, can I help you? I, I can take it as they said it with attitude. I can take it as they said it, Can they help me? Um, and so I, I do go places and, and kind of watch the service, but I also watch the service we get here. We got some great places in Shreveport that have great service. Um, David Alvis's places—I've never had bad service from one of his restaurants. Uh, the Silver Stars, um, Shane's, uh, Shane's um, restaurants—usually great service. Um, you know, the, the, I get good service in most everywhere here in town. Um, I go other places and, and, and the same, and then you, you go in and you'll catch someone who had a bad day and you get to make the decision as an individual of do I make that affect me and my attitude or do I say, and they may just have a bad day That's right. and move on. Um, and not always is it necessarily bad customer service is a lot of times we may not get the customer service we particularly want. Yeah. But are our standards too high or are we just misreading the person? Yeah. Um, so, you know, I do have to kind of sit back and watch all of those things. And, and generally, we have we have some decent servers and, uh, and bartenders and, um, you know, casino dealers, obviously. That's got to be a difficult job to take someone's money and try to still smile at them and make them like you. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, so customer service, I don't think that that is really how on our biggest problem.
0: No, I, I agree with you. I just think that it's very difficult to teach that. Uh, and if, if you're doing it successfully and if your dad did it successfully, I think you, you probably have touched on something that a lot of business owners don't know how to do. Maybe they weren't taught how to do it. Like your dad was probably in Pizza King every day it was open or 90% of yes. the time.
1: Yes, he uh, opened and closed most days. Yeah,
0: and what Thomas and I have talked about with a lot of business owners in town is how— how well their business runs when they are inside the business and how how far fewer complaints they receive on the days that they're in the business.
1: Well, well, in my particular case at Sandbar, my RPH revenue per head is higher when I'm in the building. And I don't think it's because my bartenders take money when I'm not there. I don't think it's that. I think that they do a little bit better job, but I also think that I pay better attention to uh, customer retention trying to keep them in the building a little bit longer which means I get one more drink out of them
0: yeah.
1: um, you know I try to make sure that the uh, that the levels the music levels are right that, that you know they're playing the right songs to keep people in there a little longer uh, the bartenders are giving service just a little bit faster maybe they look at their phones a little bit less if I'm in the building um, so there are times you know there you can plainly tell the difference in the, in the books if I'm there or not there
0: we've heard this from we've heard this from clothing salesman we've heard it from um a guy who owned wine shop you know that that he can sell a a certain case of wine that he just got in from somewhere in california that's more expensive more exclusive to a certain customer but if he's not in there the customer buys exactly what the customer always buys same thing with the clothing seller you know is that because we're a small town like we love to see the owner in the building and do what the owner tells us to um, or is it because, I mean, if I walk into a store in Dallas, I don't expect to meet the owner, see the owner, know the owner. But when I walk into a place in Treeport, I'm kind of looking for the owner.
1: Well, there, there is some case There is that that, that, that is uh, factual, but not always in that particular case because a, a good sales rep who actually cared about selling that bottle of wine and took the time to know, to be knowledgeable of the bottle of wine, Uh, you can bet that owner is more knowledgeable and will take more time with you.
0: Also, the (laughs) owner... Doesn't have caveat. He said that the the other guy was like a sommelier and actually knew more about the one oh. than he did. well, but, but, but I think I think the owners care so much. You can you can feel the way an owner cares about the business when you meet the owner. It's but genuine.
1: You, That's you you definitely you definitely get to feel that. Up. And and in the smaller city, you probably get a better opportunity. In Dallas, you're probably not catching the owner in the building uh, as often. um You know, some of the nightclubs I know over there, the owners may never be in the building if I didn't call them before I go over there I know I'm not going to catch them in the building um, and many other businesses of that nature you know I go and um, um, you know I, 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 but I, I find that I like to say hi to the owner also yeah, is that, um, our, is that
0: a small town mentality that, that's causing us to do that
1: um in, 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 the, in the locally owned businesses, probably so, but I would probably bet if we lived in Dallas and we knew the owners of five or six businesses over there that were commonly in their business, when we went to that particular business, we'd expect to see the owner also.
2: Okay. I think it's a volume deal. Like when you are like you said before, if you're in Dallas, you, you can sell a, a $12 drink that would be $6 here or $7 here. It's just, there's just not as many people. So you probably also would notice, you know, Tim's in the building or, or he's not. Right. Because it's not like, it's not yeah, yeah. so packed that you, you wouldn't know. You
1: walk in, you'll see if I'm there or not. Yeah. The uh, the other side that the owner has differently is if, if he set it up right, I have employees that each have a job to do. Well, so my my manager who has a job to do can't spend as much time talking to a customer, an individual, just... Just talking, just shooting the bull, just talking about sports or their kids or what's going on in their life. He's got, he's got to get to work. Uh, the, the owner of the wine business, uh, he's got more time to spend with one individual customer because he's not having to go and do the other job, also. I have, I have as much time as, as you want me to spend with you, I have to spend. Well, Robert, my manager, he doesn't have that much time because every bar needs to be checked to see if they need change. And he needs to make sure that uh, the floor walker is picking up all the trash. He needs to make sure that the the levels are and he, you know, he's going and doing doing the job that I used to do. And so he's consistently moving, so he doesn't have the time to spend with an individual customer that I do.
0: And you set those systems up. Yes. You created those systems. Correct. Everything's by design. Correct. And then you're there to implement the design that you created.
1: Right. And let someone
0: else do the work while
1: I'm entertaining. But individuals. But
0: you're still keeping a customer there for one more extra drink, one more extra song, and that's your job. Exactly. Your job is to bring them in and keep them there as long as possible. Butts and seats. <laughs> that's right. So, t- all right. So, oh, I'm sorry. 2012, 2013. Phoenix goes underground. No more Phoenix. Correct. And then when does the uh, when does the sandbar crop
1: up? The sandbar had already been opened. The sandbar's now been open 10 and a half years. Uh, the sandbar was opened, um, I opened it up uh, three years after. So in 2009, um, sandbar opened three years after what, Phoenix. What month was that? Uh, it opened um,
0: May 11th, 2009. I was in Stray Cat the first week you opened because uh, one of the bartenders and I, we, it was the middle of the day, and we uh, we locked the door at Stray Cat and walk, we walked over to your place to check it out. We heard somebody put video games in a bar. Yes. So tell me about the tell me about the concept for that. We we thought it was a pretty cool Real spot. Real quick
2: before we get to what was it before was it just. Uh, it closed was or? before
1: before I got it. It was closed, but it was it had been multiple nightclubs from Club One to uh, Reactor Wet Bar, Studio Fifty Four, Players Club. If you want to go back to the seventies, it was called Denims and Diamonds, um, okay. and it was a disco. But
2: it's always been a club it's, for as long as the building's been there. It's
1: been a club as long as I remember.
2: Okay, because uh, I remember Reactor Wet Bar. I remember all of those things.
1: But if you go back before when the uh, when the river actually came to the back of where Sandbar is before the bar before the buildings were on um, uh, Commerce Street, mm-hmm. the river actually used to come all the way up to where the bar is, and actually it was a cotton gin where people where it, it unloaded from okay. uh, from the river
0: into into Sandbar. Oh wow. Where going well, back, how many where how I'm many going, years? It was a hundred years ago, or you're going 100, 100 years back? Okay, <laughs> yeah. so it was a cotton gin way way back in the day. <laughs>
1: yeah, uh, like I said, you're going back a hundred years. Uh, but in in our lifetime, it's always been a bar.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, since since the early '70s, it's always been a bar.
0: So, uh, have you ever been to Barcadia? Uh, I know there's one in New Orleans in the uh, in the warehouse district. Um, no, I've I've done some research on a couple and uh, and and.
1: You know, unfortunately, it kind of falls into a population number.
0: true sure. So, for first report. Well, where did where did you see the idea, or did you wake up um, from a dream and say, I want to put a bunch of Xboxes for rent and arcade games into a bar? Well,
1: <laughs> here's what originally happened. The building when I had first opened Phoenix, they opened a bar in there called Club One, which fortunately for me, failed miserably. And, uh, and the building came available. Well, I didn't want someone to be able to go in there. The building already had all of the water ran, all the power utilities. It already was designed to be a nightclub. I didn't want someone who actually knew what they were doing running a nightclub to be able to go in there and open something to compete against Phoenix, spending half the money that I spent on Phoenix. So I went and rented the building. Well, um, after I rented the building, I figured out that The cost of the building was substantial, and I didn't want to just leave it sitting there and do nothing. So I started thinking, what was I going to do here? Well, then I decided big man cave, if for some reason the business doesn't work, at least I'll have a place I enjoy going. And so uh, I originally filled the place up with stuff I like to do. And so I like to play pool, I put pool tables in there, I like to play video games, I put the video games. Um, every time when I go to a kid's birthday party and they have an air hockey table there, you will find me on their hockey table. So I was like, okay, i got to have an air hockey table. Well, um, we used to have a foosball table growing up, so I had to have a foosball table. Darts just naturally go with it. So each one of the items that kind of went into Sandbar originally was just stuff I enjoyed doing. And uh, I figured if nothing else... You could run it like a big sports bar arcade with one bartender and he can watch the whole thing and and if it makes money it makes money if it doesn't it doesn't and and it, it worked made a lot more money than phoenix underground ever did. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right so uh it opens up and does it uh, does it start doing well immediately does it take a little while to take off um,
1: day one it uh it took off day one um it has changed uh i don't have any more xboxes and wii's in there now Uh, i've taken those out we started with uh, four pool tables we now have seven um we had one air hockey table we now have two the uh yeah we we now have video poker Um, some of the games have changed and uh the beer pong has moved uh, from uh, two beer pong tables to six beer pong tables we're in the middle of a remodel that's fixing to turn it into eight beer pong tables um, so what? So,
0: so beer pong's successful at the sandbar. Uh, pe- people people still enjoy playing beer pong. Um, so now we're moving to eight beer pong tables. What else? What else is going in in the remodel? Um,
1: the, well, and, and the, the remodel is really minor for on on the grand scheme of things. Uh, but we I uh, have a new game that's uh, consists of using footballs and bowling pins, and uh, you'll actually really have to come to see it. But you basically set up. Uh, two sets of bowling pins just like they're set up at a bowling alley and they're uh, 50 feet apart and a person gets on each side with a football and you try to throw it and knock the bowling pins down and the one who knocks the bowling pins down all their bowling pins down first wins and it's just so like it's bowling except throwing a football with a football only with no lane because it's the, they're just set up on on a platform apart from each other but yeah, it's like who? bowling with a football,
0: and and the thing comes down and, and no, no,
1: you got to reset them up yourself. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, no, we uh, no, yeah. it, it, it's a free game. You go and play it for nothing. It's not a uh, you don't pay us. Uh, I have added cornhole um, to the uh, to sandbar. So
0: it, it, the pool tables are quarter operated to get quarter operated. Ball? And yes. same thing with air hockey. Air hockey. Same thing with the arcade games. Correct. What's free? The beer pong's free. Uh, beer pong's free.
1: Cornhole's free. The new football game is free. Um, and then you know obviously we don't have a cover charge to get into sandbar now on Friday and Saturday I do charge a cover charge to get into the vault and, okay tell us about that uh, the vault was my um, I, when I closed Phoenix I still had to have some form of a nightclub plus I had a DJ going to be out of business out of out of a job and uh, and a sound system and light show that was no longer being used and uh, and I had a Thirty-five hundred square foot room that was being used as a storage room. It's the basement of uh, Sandbar, and so instead of just leaving it as a basement, as soon as I closed Phoenix, I remodeled it and opened it up as a nightclub. Okay. And so it's a much smaller version of Phoenix uh, Underground. It's not. It's it's not Phoenix because it's just too small to be phoenix but but it's
0: 3,500 square feet yes it's got a dj
1: it's got a dj it has got a dance floor how many nights a week is the vault Uh, the vault's open on wednesday and sunday doing karaoke and then thursday friday and saturday with a dj all
0: right How, how are your numbers at the vault um
1: really really actually um i took a pay raise closing phoenix underground
0: so okay so you have a target market obviously for the group of people that show up to um sandbar and you got a target market that's maybe different or the same as the vault tell us about your market um the target market for
1: sandbar and the vault are really about the same uh what i'm looking for is the uh legitimately 21 to 35 now that doesn't mean that if you're over 35 that you're not welcome but my target market is a person who can go out at least two nights a week and and spend twenty dollars a night while they're out without without any concern yeah um where you know that's my target. Now that's not you know I take care of other customer base, but my target is is two nights a week uh, getting an average of twenty dollars RPH out of them.
0: Fair enough, um, and it's it's been a
1: success. Um, yes, uh, fortunately, what I, what I find is that you know my rule of throw the best party, provide the most entertainment. If let's say four guys are going out and they want to go to Sandbar. You can play pool, you can play beer pong, you can play shuffleboard, you can play air hockey, foosball, uh, the football game, um, uh, cornhole. I've got a basketball uh, challenge game, ski ball. There's plenty of stuff for you to do. Let's say you decide you're going out, two couples are going out together. Uh, The girls want to dance. You go downstairs, you let them dance for a while. You go upstairs, you play video games, you you do other things. Um, a, A whole group of people go out together. You can separate into different areas in the bar and everyone can have something to do, yet we're still together. So um, the best part about it is, let's say you go on a date. The last thing you really want to do is get stuck into a real serious conversation. Right. But you want your date to understand that you're giving her total attention or she's giving you total attention. Well, we can go on a date, play pool, play air hockey, play shuffleboard. The whole time I've given them attention, they've, they've given me attention, We've, we've 100% been
0: um, doing things together the whole time. Mm-hmm. We were never stuck into a serious conversation. You have uh, yeah, a very interesting business model. You don't have much competition in that in town, like a, a place to, for a, a couple or multiple couples to go and just kind of stay occupied other than sitting around
2: drinking or going all dancing, that sort of thing. So Correct. It, it, yeah, I, it's, it, it's the model of sort of having multiple things to do under one roof is very valuable. You have, you have food. and you don't even have to go in to get the food at this point now you can you you can walk up on the street or get it delivered you can get it from the
1: window you can get it delivered or you can come in
2: and eat inside yeah so you know just finding multiple rev streams for for what you have I think because we talk a lot here about like how do we do things better in the city and I think that's a model that that seems things that we've talked about that seem to work family business because you're in there, you're taking care of your customer base, and you know what that is, and you know how important that is. And and the people that work for you can see, like, oh, this is very important. And taking and, and using that under-one-roof uh, under, under one roof model to do multiple things. Right. That seems to be a kind of a small-town thing. That
1: you have to figure out how to get the maximum amount of money out of people while they're in your building. And you have to give people, you have to be able to entertain large amounts of people. You have to be able to entertain enough people. Well, not everybody loves to play pool. Not everybody loves to play air hockey. Not everyone loves to dance. Not everyone even likes to be inside of a loud nightclub. Well, downstairs is loud, but upstairs is not loud. Upstairs, we can have a conversation at a normal volume and be fine. Um, Some people like beer pong. Some people don't like beer pong. If you don't like beer pong, fortunately, it's on a third level all by itself. You never even have to walk up there. And so you never have to be close to it. And so it kind of, the building breaks down really well for me. But uh, what I figured out how to do is just try to separate everything to where it's kind of got its own little entity while everything works together as one. Uh, Kind of become the Walmart of the bar business.
0: It seems to work. How many many bars are in there? How many places can you go get a drink? Um,
1: There are three bars, and then I have... uh, uh, which uh, normally have six bartenders, two bartenders behind each bar, and then I have two waitresses or shot girls that are on the floor. How many nights a week are you open? Uh, Seven nights a week, 6.30 p.m. till 6.30 a.m. Twelve hours a day, seven days a week? 365 days a year. Christmas, New Year's Eve, Easter, Halloween,
0: every day. I need to get back in there. haven't been to Sanborn. I need to try the vault. Yeah, sounds like exactly what what I do these days. A lot of, <laughs> lot, of a lot of dancing. Um, so you, we, you know, common theme here. We've got business owners. A lot of them are located downtown. You have businesses that are outside of downtown as well. Correct.
2: Like, um, construction oh, business. I also wanted. That's the construction business. Was that did, did that come about because of Phoenix? Like you got in there and you started to realize, like, oh, I, I miss, I, I underestimated. How, how much this build-out was gonna cost um, or?
1: Actually, uh, yes, my former, uh, one of my partner, one of my former partners and uh, close friends um, helped me and we physically built Phoenix ourselves, um, And then we... Uh,
2: did you, did you, but you did not have a construction business at that point? No, okay. no, actually <laughs> uh,
1: they, uh, they had a joke, I wasn't allowed to use a power tool okay. um, because they were scared I was gonna hurt myself.
2: Um, I see that you still have all your fingers. Yes, so. uh,
1: that's because they don't let me use power okay. tools. Okay, all right. Uh, <laughs> they still don't let me use power tools. It's uh, I have power tools now, but I don't get to use You
2: know them. the budget. Uh, you, you do the budgeting. Yes. Okay.
1: Uh, um, no, I, I, I and I do a lot of the design work still, and uh, and I'm on site. Uh, I actually enjoy doing construction work. I enjoy being on site. Uh, it's, it's funny. You'll see me in there carrying boards because uh, – that's about the best I can do. Um, most of the time, they, uh, you know, if, if I screw something, they're going to have to come in and take it out and level it anyway. So I might as well just let them do it the first time. But um, I got, Phoenix got open. We finished all that. And my 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 mentor, Randy James, I was uh, looking to buy me a very expensive sports car or, or really expensive truck. I, I, I was finally making some money and wanted something Yo, know, just nice. Right. And uh, my mentor convinced me that instead of doing that, to go buy a rent house. And he said, every time I get money in my pocket, burning a hole in my pocket, that makes me want to go and buy something, to go and buy another rent house. And uh, now I have sixty-two rent houses. Okay. Um, not sure if that's a good or bad thing, but fortunately, it's it's done well it's, Well, it's for me. it's cash flow.
2: Yes. It's, you're buying an asset um, as opposed to a liability. Um, exactly. So,
1: and uh, and the uh, the rent houses, uh, you had to learn to work on them. So uh, we did a lot of remodeling, working on them, and as I was doing that. Um, I, we learned more and more and started doing... Uh, so we started a small construction company that just did remodels, not a contracting company, just construction. Right. And uh, we just did remodels. Well, uh, I recently partnered up with a friend who had been building houses for about 28 years in Shreveport-Bossier, and uh, we just started building new construction.
2: Wow. So, And that's pretty recent.
1: Um, we started it in... Uh, December of 2017, okay. And uh, right now, today, we've got three custom jobs going on, and we just finished uh, five.
2: Wow.
0: What's the secret to staying on top of all this stuff?
1: Um, there's a couple of secrets. One is is, is good help. You got to have good help. Uh, when I say good help, I'm I really want to say great help. And when you do find great help, you got to pay them fair, and you got to treat them right to keep them. Um the other thing is is to uh prioritize what is what what is your main priority, where are you trying to go and uh and don't don't get lost behind it, don't get behind. Once you get behind it's really hard to catch up. So you have to go in and, and see things every single day. Uh right this second my partner at the construction company, uh we have three houses that we're building within about two and a half miles of each other and he made a joke this morning that he could tell you every bump in the road between those two and a half miles because he literally drives them all day long. Um, and then I go, I, I stop by those job sites quite a bit less than he does uh, because that's particular, That's his personal job is to be the foreman over those. Um, so I go by, but I still stop by just about every day.
0: Man, you stay busy. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, uh if if you ask my wife she'll tell you I I, I calls my season school teacher so she says I calls myself busy work but that's not true. I'm actually busy working.
2: <laughs> is that or those were those uh bob Huck lessons sort of the the g- going every day and doing your you know your work.
1: Um yeah, I'd say that was uh, that started there um but uh, a biggest side of what what causes that is um I had made it I mean I, I was doing really well at 26 years old I had my business was going good and I was doing really well and I stopped doing the, the grind every single day mm-hmm. and I started playing poker and, and, and traveling playing pool and doing other things and then I come home one day to figure out that I was broke and my businesses were failing and so um, I kind of have put myself in position to make sure that didn't happen again and so that has a lot to do with why I focus every single day, and and don't mind going between and and, and staying more on top of it.
2: So you're, you're a pretty quick learner. You you learn
1: well, pretty fast. Uh, sometimes I, I it's, it's by it's by the beating I took, right. but yeah, I did learn. Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah It seems like uh, any of those lessons, uh, when you when you you get to a place, and then it and then you have to get back to that place. I think you mentioned that before. Like, I don't want to. Once I'm behind, that's when you start learning that lesson and you, you don't want to get behind again. Right. Yeah. You never want to go back there. I mean, you mentioned before you had a mentor that kind of told you buy an um, asset and not a uh, liability.
1: Yeah. Randy James, um, he uh, he owns, he's one of the partners in all property services. Uh, they, they're they in real estate business, but he also, he was my original partner at Phoenix Underground. He had uh, Cowboys, he had Bricktown. He uh, is the original guy that started Oyster Bar. Um, He's developed multiple neighborhoods. Uh, he's done a lot, a lot of stuff in Shreveport Bozier. Um, very well known. He was one of the original founders of the crew of Centaur. Um, uh, just uh, uh, a great ambassador of Shreveport Bozier, great ambassador of, of business. And um, he, he took me, I've worked for him a couple of times, and then we partnered up together. And uh, when I, like I said, when I first started trying to, uh, when I started making real money and started trying to lose my mind and want to go spend on buying myself a big house or buying myself a car, he would always come and ground me out a little bit and go, okay, look, you can lose this as fast as you made it. Let's, uh, let's go and invest it instead of uh, spend it. Yeah. And he told me um, a really good life lesson that not a lot of people will, will follow because it's really hard. You can never invest a dollar you already spent. So be careful on what you spend your money on because you can never invest the dollar you already spent. It's now gone. Right.
2: It's someone else's dollar to invest. someone else's dollar
0: to invest. Excellent lesson. All right. Moving on to like Shreveport at large. Again, you've found success in a downtown market. You've found success in a market that's full of vacant space. It's full of ideas. It's full of things that are working. Some things aren't working. You're chairman of the board of DDA. What you know, what can city government do better, or is city government doing everything it can do to encourage business operations downtown? I believe city government is doing a
1: lot to encourage business in downtown. Um, can they do better? I think everyone can always do better. Uh, at the same time, I don't want someone to get the mindset that it's, the city's responsibility 100% to make my business successful, it's the city's responsibility to bring more businesses, it's the city's responsibility to talk someone into coming here. I do believe the city should be invested in that, that should be, economic development needs to be a a very high priority for the city, Um, but it can't just be the government it can't just be their responsibility. It has to be individual's responsibility. It has to be my responsibility because the, a thriving downtown and a thriving Shreveport uh, assist me personally. Um, again, I own 62 houses. Uh, 50 of them are in the city of Shreveport. If, when, when Shreveport thrives, my property values go up and my uh, rent uh, rates go up. when. When downtown thrives more customers come to my building so it can't just be I don't I can't put it all on the city do I believe that there's there's things the city could possibly attempt to do uh, yes uh, examples fix all the street lights um, if the parking meters are torn up, Take them down. If, if not, go ahead and replace them, which the DDA is working on at the present time, uh, getting, getting new parking meters. Unfortunately, our, our meters are so out of date that you can't just buy, buy, the, buy the meter. Um, enforce the uh, property standards codes that you have on these buildings that, uh, are that they let go. Um, you know, if if you're not cleaning up the alleys, there we have property standards. They can write you tickets. They can they can do things. We can send someone in to clean them up and and charge the owner of the business or the owner of the buildings that are uh, adjacent to the alleys. And uh, and we need to to do that again. Perception is reality. And if you drive through downtown, it's it's almost especially at night with all the lights that are out. It's almost perceived as um, Nasty, scary, junky, uh, run down, let go, forgotten, and when you have that, then perceptions reality. So that's the reality. And uh, we're talking about
0: street lights. You're not talking about intersection street lights. You're talking about the lights that light up the sidewalk.
1: I'm talking about all the lights that light up the sidewalks yep. in downtown. And unfortunately, the, the everybody tries. The DDA tries. The city tries. The uh, SWEPCO tries. Um, the, the poles are um, not too far from the street. And every time it seems that they fix a pole, it seems like a car runs into that pole again. And so the majority of the poles that are messed up have been hit by cars. Most of those cars were, um, they didn't drive afterwards. So you're able to find the people. Well, someone in the city attorney's office needs to be working these insurance companies and making these insurance companies pay for the poles that the driver of the car tore up, which is very seldomly done. And so the poles, if you drive through downtown, you'll see um, probably 30 street lights, uh, 30 of those little lights that are out. Right um, and that makes areas dark, and, and, and dark is scary. Uh, dark uh, means that no one cares about it. Dark means that it's forgotten. Uh, you know, um, dark looks run down. Even, even if it's not, you know, it just looks that way. Sandbar, for example, all three of the lights that, that are in close proximity to the 400 uh, block of Spring Street are out. So I took on my own and bought big uh, floodlights and put them on my building to light up the whole 400 block of Spring Street. Um, other businesses could do the same instead of just waiting for the city to fix it. Now unfortunately by lighting it up, it also lights up those eyesores of poles that are been hit by cars. Yeah. but at least it's not dark.
2: Yeah you can you can see what's going on. And, and those poles too I see when they replace or they try to replace them the initial replacement is like they'll put tape around them or, or whatever. and they and they're very intricate they're nice looking. And, and you talk about the ones with the two right. globes, yes. and I think those globes get broken. They're very hard to replace, and they're expensive.
1: But and the bulbs are extremely expensive. Yeah. But, but the the tape they when they when they put the bottoms back together and take them together, mm-hmm. the reason for that is because there's the the wires that run through there are very high wattage, Okay, and so you don't want anyone to be able to touch that and get injured. And so they—that's why they put them back together and tape them up. What's supposed to be happening is that's supposed to be a very temporary fix until they get the pieces there, and it's cast iron. Yeah. And so they have to get them in and put them in place, and unfortunately, it never goes as fast as you'd like it to, and um, and more often than not, it takes a long, long, long time.
0: This high voltage—it's a two twenty or something. Um.
1: Yeah. Well, they remember it's daisy chained.
0: Okay, uh, yeah, all right. So uh,
1: I think it's even higher than that. Wow, uh, okay. Because they're daisy-chained all the way through. So, okay. so, I mean, the wires that come through are, I mean, they're big. They're mm-hmm. not, they're they're almost the size of like a Red Bull can.
0: Well, if the city can't afford to fix these things, or, or maybe not can't afford, but can't get on it quick enough, I mean, what is there a solution to that problem?
1: Well, the DDA is working on a grant right now to uh, change those lights out to LEDs. The LEDs, yeah. Uh, which would... Um, Would be uh, a lot less expensive and um, hopefully easier to to change. But again, when they get run over, we're still going to be dealing with the same issue. Yeah. uh, When they get run over, someone needs to be in charge of trying to uh, recoup the loss through through the insurance companies. If if the car gets disabled and they're able to see who hit it. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if someone hits it and runs there's not a lot you can do about that but uh um there's also you know you could use more security cameras downtown stuff of that nature um but your biggest your biggest thing that's that 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 the city um could do for downtown is to post the crime stats
0: more often all right i saw a blue sign yesterday in front of the downtown rhino and it said we have the lowest crime rates in in shreveport here in downtown you know thank you uh Let's keep it that way. Do not leave possessions in your car. <laughs> so uh, that was an officially sanctioned printed sign that's posted on a street lamp out in front of Rhino. And all I can think is, what, what does that say to an out-of-town guest who comes to town and says, Oh, my God. Not only are they—I mean, I'm happy that we're advertising it, but I can't leave my laptop in the car and go run in this coffee shop because that's how bad their crime is. Somebody's going to take my stuff. And Is that possible? I mean, can we reword that sign? Uh, we definitely should definitely reword that sign.
1: I, uh, the worst part is I appreciate the message they're trying to deliver. You know, let's, let's be realistic. You don't leave your cell phone sitting on a table and walk away from it. Right. Uh, locks keep honest people honest. Uh, but more importantly, hiding, you know, if, if they don't know the valuables there. Um, you know, would you leave two one hundred dollar bills sitting on the seat of your car where anyone that walked by could see it and expect your window to still be there when you when you got back? Um, because most likely someone's going to break it and take it. Well, you, your laptop's seven, eight, nine hundred dollars sitting right there. Um, you, you, the the message is is not necessarily wrong. It's probably not um, it could be delivered. It, it, a, it's probably not the best fashion, delivery. Yeah, it's an uh, attempt
2: to change the perception. But it's creates a different little
0: little polish on the on the. I I took a picture and I got a really good kick out of it. But at the same time, I'm from here. I get it. Yeah. Well,
1: you know, every neighborhood now, when you pull in, has the uh, lock uh, lock your doors at night uh, stuff. uh, And and I appreciate I appreciate that also because you know how many people leave leave their guns or you know you leave your valuables in your car and they come and get your car tonight. Well. At some point, they're going to move up from from unlocked cars to to lock cars. Yeah. If they, if you know, if, if I I hit enough unlocked cars and find that uh, it's profitable to break into cars, I will eventually decide to start hitting unlocked cars. Yeah. Or hit lock cars. So you know, I wish everyone would lock their cars and, you know. I've always told my wife, you know, when, we, when we're when we going out, you know, it's either you're taking your purse in or, you know, lock it in the club box, hide it under here. Yeah. If you're carrying a big one, you know, we're going to lock it in the in the trunk before we go downtown. The last thing, you you know, you want someone to see is you locking it in the trunk because yeah, they're yeah. breaking the car just to open the trunk. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I've always done that. And so the the message is not wrong. It's just uh, it, it, when you read it, it's it, you get to make the decision on how you how you want to perceive how inter- it, yeah. how you interpret it. And when you do interpret it that way, as you did, it's a uh, it's a negative uh, impact or can be.
0: Well, I just think it's such a positive message, and then it finishes out on such a sour note. But that uh, maybe that's me overanalyzing it. Okay, so what? We've talked about a couple of things that downtown could do better. Or the city could do better. Uh, what's it doing right? Like, what's it doing to help your business? What's it doing to help other businesses that you see?
1: Um, you know, I, I think that they're uh, what they're trying to do it right. Uh, recently, um, you had a city councilman come up with some uh, some regulations that were going to be negative business. Not necessarily that they were going to be negative for the public, but they're going to be really negative to business. Uh, some of the uh, he wanted new cameras that were going to be extremely expensive, and and some new uh, some new uh, regulations that were going to cost a lot of money. And uh, the city council, the police chief, the uh, head of ABO, and the um, the mayor's office kind of all discouraged it and, it, and and most of it went away without costing us um, an arm and a leg because it was not pro business. It was definitely going to be it was definitely going to hurt. Uh, and, and it would hurt me less, and would hurt some of the smaller guys, but it would have hurt, you know, some local operators. Sure. Uh, and so they got some of that they they did away with. Um, so that was a positive thing that they did recently. Um, you know, I think that they're we've got a really young city council with a lot of new guys. We've got a young administration with a lot of new people. And I I, I, I hate the, I hate to say this, but you know, to to try to be optimistic, I think a lot of them are still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of them probably went in without total clarity of what they could and couldn't do, what the job was and wasn't, mm-hmm. and uh, I think they're still trying to figure out uh, the job at hand. Too much to do, a lot to help us right this second. Okay. And, I, and, I, and I hope that their their learning curve uh, doesn't take very long, and that they uh, that they're able to. Um, Get to focused on some some things to assist uh, Shreveport, not just downtown Shreveport, but overall.
0: But overall, I mean, let's, let's talk about a problem that you could identify, and maybe a solution that you could also uh, pinpoint on that problem.
1: Um, our
0: biggest problem
1: uh, we we don't bring any out of town money in. We do no manufacturing.
0: Um, how do you it, that, that's been a since yeah, a common theme. So since, tell us how you fix that.
1: Um, well. Y- you, you, you need to focus your, your you know, uh, economic development needs to be done in, in multiple parts. You need to have a person who is focused on obviously getting your wells, getting your big manufacturing facility filled up, um, trying to find a person to replace GM. Okay. That needs to be one person's job, but that doesn't need to be four or five people's job. The other people need to be out fishing. Okay okay you don't need everyone being a well hunter you need you you know sometimes catching small fish forty jobs fifty jobs sixty jobs the uh... the companies that are opening that are that that uh, Menden is spending all their resources going after, that Rustin is spending resources going after, that Monroe is spending resources going after, that are gonna create forty jobs and fifty jobs and sixty jobs because factually speaking, forty jobs created actually create sixty because now people have money to spend in restaurants and this, that and other. And so it's it's a domino effect. And so we need to be focused on Not just going after Tesla or whatever company you're trying to fill up one and, you know, focus on every potential manufacturing facility we have in Shreveport that is not being utilized. Are are we doing that or are we not doing that or what do you know about that? If we're doing it, we're not marketing that we're doing it. If we're doing it, no one is mentioning it. No one's talking about it. All I ever hear about is the big guys are going after. No one ever talks about, hey, we're trying to get this box manufacturing facility or this paper bag facility. Are we, are we ever going
0: to get the big manufacturer, or do we need to figure out a way to chop that GM plant up or uh, get so, get three or four smaller guys in there? I mean, like, what's the deal? What I, I How do we have, do it? I would have been chopping GM
1: plant up the day after they moved out. Um, the day... Uh, the GM plant is a, is a total disaster, and unfortunately, I believe uh, Ollie Tyler got a lot of blame for not, and Cedric Glover too, for not getting new people in place to take care of that. However, the Caddo Commission totally controls it, uh, but not this particular Caddo Commission, but go backwards, and, and they've made a bad contract and a bad deal that I don't think anyone's taking the time to try to get out of it right. or... or put forth the revenue, resources, or time and energy to get out of it, which I believe they could get out if they would put forth the effort and energy to get out of that bad deal that they made, and start looking at breaking it up into uh, smaller, um, um, any, anything that, that that you can figure to go in there that's going to create jobs. The the revenue, we'll just say the rent stream is nothing. That you know, if you never made a dollar rent off of the off of the building, but it created enough jobs, it's a net win for the
0: city. Are you in? A, um, are you in that camp of folks that says you know make any offer possible to bring the businesses here? I mean, I've had some guys in here say you know. You know, offer up the farm if, if, if it means 100 jobs, that I, sort of thing.
1: I'm in the middle. I think that you have to do an economic impact um, a study and decide what the economic impact is against what you're giving. I think each business is, is different, and you have to look at them and decide what to offer. Uh, if, if you give too much, i.e., the movie industry was getting so much that the state wasn't even making any money off of it when it finished mm-hmm. by the time they gave them all the tax credits and all the benefits and bonuses and everything that they gave them we made no money off of them filming here okay so it made you, you can give too much yeah it was great for me because they rented my buildings and my construction company did their work and they did all of their uh, parties at Phoenix and it was a wonderful thing for Tim Huck. Yeah, But not well, everything that's great for Tim Huck
0: happens to be great for the city well, or state. Well, I mean, were, were they renting any apartments here? Were they buying nice right. food, bars? Oh, were no, they spending they, money in you know, town? No,
1: they, it was great for other people, too. Yeah. It was great for a lot of people. Yeah. But but that's why it's got to be an economic impact to see what is the overall impact compared to what we're giving away. Yeah. If, if you give away too much, we didn't go anywhere. We went, We still yeah. went backwards. Um, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I, I would like each individual... Opportunity to be looked at, and but someone that that understands um, the the economic impact of it needs to be uh, figuring out how much we need to give away to get them.
0: What businesses would work downtown? What does your business need? What could you create some uh, symbiotic relationship with other businesses downtown? What would work? What wouldn't work? Um,
1: I think we need uh, a uh, small. Um, not necessarily what i'd call a convenience store not a grocery store something in the middle Uh, something that that can uh, entice more people to to live and work downtown because if you live and work downtown the point is is not to have to get in your car and leave downtown well if you have to leave downtown to go grocery shopping you have to leave downtown to go get anything get medication, stuff of that nature, you know, then, then that doesn't help with the live, work, and play concept, the whole. So we definitely need uh, some form of a, of a grocery-type convenience store. I mean, you know, just somewhere that you can at least get Band-Aids and a loaf of bread and,
0: uh, you know, simple stuff. Does that um, business stand on its own two feet, or does the city have to prop it up for a little bit? You know, it depends on the
1: location. Um I, I believe that someone needs to consider um, the assistance uh, even if it's just uh, looking at you know, getting the right people to come in and doing um, low interest deferred loans that, that, that assist in the prop up. I don't, I'm, I'm not a big uh, consistent handout person because they end up going to the wrong people, um, but I do believe that there is a way to assist without giving it away. You you give me a, a a deferred low interest loan, give me time to get the business going.
0: DDA offers one of those up, right? Uh, DSDC, D, okay.
1: DSDC, which what? is uh, which is not the DDA, but they're they're, they're a sister
0: organization, okay. right. and
1: and Liz is actually uh, the director of both of them. Okay. Uh, and she does uh, work well with those, and they do offer some of those, but the well, DSDC is not the only way you can
0: go. Okay. Well, you're a businessman. You know how to make money. I'll give you that. Could you make money at a, if I if I said put a you know here's a building, locate it wherever you want it. Could you make money on a grocery store downtown? Yes. Would you be willing to coach an entrepreneur on how to make money in a grocery store downtown? Yes. If an entrepreneur is listening to this podcast and wants to meet up with you, can I buy you two lunch? Yes, and would
1: be interested in uh, 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 putting in some revenue um, to to assist myself.
0: All right, well, let's talk further about that. Um, I, Thomas and I have kicked around that concept with a number of people. Some people say it wouldn't work. I, I've kind of thought about the idea of bringing in existing markets, like not, not Brookshire's and Kroger and Albertsons, but these smaller markets that are all around, the say, the nicer, fancier parts of town. Some have pre-made stuff. Some of them have access to grocery. And maybe they rent space in a building rather than – like how, how do you conceive of a, a grocery store downtown? Um
1: well, I mean, personally, the two locations that I love at the present time is the bottom floor of the Standard. Yep. And, uh, and I love the D's building D's across the up street from there.
0: On the corner uh, <laughs> of Highway 1 and US 80. Um, those, those are my two favorite locations I, I today. Think D's is my favorite by far. Um, For that exact, for a concept like that.
1: The only reason why I love the downstairs of the standard other than their problems they have is they don't have enough power going into the building to be able to do it. If they had the power, I would love that because I think that it would assist the standard. So the standard kind of needs to help you. It's really nice when you can have a landlord and and tenant uh, business relationship where both of you kind of need each other to to, uh, thrive. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it, it, you it, you work together better. Okay. Um, but I think D's would be uh, be a, a great location. It's still close enough to the loft. It's close enough to uh, those uh,
0: the first, standard apartments, it's, and then right across
1: the street from the standard. It's. Uh, United Jewelers, United Jewelers, and Lee's Hardware—they're—they're yeah. they're right. I mean, they're—they're they're walking distance. And then you still have your your daily foot traffic here. I mean, there's still a lot of people that work downtown. There's other apartments. There's people who own businesses yeah. down here that, that their apartments are right above their their business, yeah. and uh, that would walk over there. And I think you would find the support. But even just uh, you know, as much as I don't necessarily would love it, uh, you know, to go. Beer, cigarettes, stuff of that nature—you mm-hmm. uh, would, you would still do well with that, with the yeah. number of uh, households that are downtown yeah. and more, more coming.
0: Yeah, I mean, when I lived downtown, um, the breweries weren't open yet. I don't think, I don't think either brewery was open. You could you can't go buy a six-pack of beer. You can't go buy a bottle of wine, and you surely can't buy, you know, a loaf of bread or a steak or something like that that you can take back home and cook. You got to go outside the downtown area to get it. Right. So, do you think that? That can stand on its own two feet if a if a guy like you that has the knowledge of the numbers can put together something. Oh, I think for sure it would stand on its own two feet. You need to have um, an owner operator
1: who is committed to that business, and not necessarily they have to be the the sole owner, but they need to be they need to have a a, a vested stake in it, and they need to be you you're gonna have to have someone no different than why Sandbar or Phoenix worked with me in the building now my nephew in the building Pete's King worked with my dad in the building you need to have a, an owner operator who's going to spend their time there Cush's uh, Grocery when you used to go in there owner was in the building uh, Fairfield Grocery owner was in the building um, you know you go all the smaller grocery stores right. that, that were successful over the years uh, Maggio's place over in mm-hmm. um, you go in there and the owner still runs it
0: yep all right, so what does, uh, we've talked a lot about positive things, but what two things do you think Shreveport has going for it that maybe other area, small, mid-sized small towns don't have, and how do we capitalize on those? Um, our biggest thing that we have going for us is the potential
1: to transport anything from Shreveport. We have interstates that will run any direction, anywhere from here for a transportation hub. We have two airports that, that fly out of Shreveport, um, that you can that you can ship anything you want. We have a railway that runs through here with with a great train, um, um, and then you have shipping. We can go right off of the dock, right and and so. we
0: so
2: should be a logistics hub. Lo-
1: logistically, we we're, we we we're, we mean, why are we not a transportation hub?
2: We have Barksdale as well, which okay. is the, like basically a huge. Uh, four-year university for a master's in logistics like that's exactly i don't Um, know why we don't have even if it's just training and then sending those people somewhere because that's what happens is those people come to barksdale they, they you know they work here they buy a house they have a family here and then they Get done, and then they pick up and move somewhere else. And, and
1: they pick up and go away because there's not a job here that that uh, for what, for their qualification. But we have, I mean, we, we have it, and it's and and it's great. Um, and so that's, well, that's how, do, a how huge do you tell price. the world about that?
0: How do you promote that? Um,
1: you know, if I knew that, I'd run for mayor. <laughs> um, you know, I, I I wish I knew how to promote that. Um, um, but that definitely is is something that needs to be. Uh, focused on
0: um, by someone who's smarter than me I guess uh, would be the uh, um okay. well in, in 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 thinking about things that do work and don't work and, and thinking about a logistics hub what else works downtown besides a grocery store I was going to pick your brain about like does a wine shop work downtown does a cheese shop or does a cigarette store work better like what um no
1: I think I think you need uh, the uh the, the wine the cheese the cigarettes all need to be in the grocery store I think it, I think um a single individual uh, place, uh, it, it, it would need to have too big of a market share that's looking for that one particular item. I think that you need to have to be able to cater to everyone who's in downtown okay is, is my uh, fear of that.
0: Do we need more bars and restaurants downtown or are we saturated? Um,
1: tough question, double-edged. Um, do I believe we need more? Uh, yes, and here's what we need more for. Is uh, people draw people. Um, we have a perception problem. The, the biggest perception, we, the biggest problem we have, is not enough. Not something that everyone likes to do. Mm-hmm. Sandbars not for everyone. Fatty our buckles is not for everyone. Uh, Stray cats is not for everyone. If they had a place that was more for you, you would come. Uh, people come when they want to see uh, a show that's at, at the Strand or going yeah. on in the Riverview Hall. People go to Mudbugs or to um, Red River Rebel. Uh, people come down when we have things going on to, to entice them. Yeah.
0: And so, like brew, like cork, like farmers market, all,
1: all it, those yeah. things sell out. Yep. And so, what you find is that if it was truly unsafe, I don't care what you were offering I'm not going into an unsafe area if you tell me you you got you know uh, money for me to go down to Jack's quarters I'm not going if you tell me you know I go to the uh, ninth ward in New Orleans uh, for a uh, for a court festival I'm not going so if it's truly if I truly believe it's not safe I won't go so but when we provide people with stuff they want to do they realize, oh, it's safe enough for me to go to mm-hmm. that. So if we had more places downtown to get people that they wanted to do that made people come here, I think we would be able to fix some of the perception problems mm-hmm. because once they come, they realize, wait a minute, I wasn't unsafe. I didn't feel like I was unsafe. I walked to that building in front to my car and I didn't have any problems. And so, um, yes, more restaurants and bars would definitely uh, be helpful but that's by itself is not our only savior. Um, destination locations, um, uh, boutiques that are destinations, something that, that people have to go there. People want to go there that we can entice people, you know, that, that sell an item, a product that, that, that people want is, is kind of important to, uh, to try to focus on getting, um, uh, simply Chic and is a destination where you know all the women over there go to buy their clothes but uh is it Striped Zebra or whatever the place in in um, Ruston that that a lot of people go to buy like purses and knickknacks? years ago downtown used to have a lot of different stores and stuff of that nature where people would walk between two or three stores and, and do their shopping and and we just don't have that anymore and the retail space is very inexpensive in downtown at the present time, especially compared to uh, Yeary Drive or um, Airline Drive, any of your any of your big uh, box stores, uh shopping centers, stuff of that nature.
0: Does does clothing retail work in in our downtown market? And today in twenty nineteen, when you can buy it, anything you want on Amazon,
1: um, the right clothing retail works no does does just putting what you can get on Amazon in there work no but you know there's still people who want to try on the dress before they have it before they get it there's still people who want to look at the outfit and actually put their hands on it and feel the material before they order um, but you have, to have a, you have to have someone who your buyer has to know what they're looking for, and they have to have a good eye, and they have to bring in unique items that uh, I'm not
0: saying. It's another owner-operator situation, too.
1: Most of what you're going to see in downtown uh, needs to be
0: owner-operator situations, okay. Okay. in my opinion. Well, um, if, uh, if you could snap your fingers and money wasn't an option, what's a magic pill for Shreveport? I mean, I know these are like big, big issues, but if we reduce the crime and don't get jobs, where are we? If we get the jobs and don't reduce the crime, if we. So, I mean, what's the big thing to tackle first?
1: Uh, Well, the first thing you have to tackle is jobs, and here's why. Because without tackling jobs, you're never going to fix the crime. Um, I own houses in low-end communities, and I talk to a lot of people. I've got some tenants that have lived in my houses for 12 and 13 years, and I've watched their kids grow up from babies to now teenage uh, boys and girls. And it's really hard to have a conversation with um, an underprivileged individual about the importance of education when no one he knows has a job. And I understand that the unemployment rate may only be 12% or 14%, but if you're unemployed, it might as well be 100%. Um, There's no way to prevent crime if there's no... Light at the end of the tunnel. There's there's nothing to look forward to. If you're living in total poverty, when I say total poverty, I mean you're 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 struggling to pay your rent. Your your electricity is turned off every other month. Your water is this. Uh, you know sometimes it's on, sometimes it's off. You're stealing it and run a pipe to uh, just to make sure that you have it until the city comes and busts the pipe or or puts you in jail for stealing water. When you're in that particular case, um, at that point, unfortunately, a lot of what you have to turn to is crime. You look at and, 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 you know, we want to preach crime doesn't pay, but unfortunately that's not the case. If, if it, it doesn't didn't pay, pay, people wouldn't be doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so, um, unless we can create jobs, you, you're not going to fix the crime rate. Now, what, what's horrible is what comes first to chicken and egg. How do I entice a company to come to Shreveport
0: with our crime rate? That's the next question. Actually, if you're a business owner, why move to Shreveport? <laughs> why I move here if you if you own a business and you're in like longview or if you know take that back you're in st louis and you're looking to get into a different market why go longview why or why go shreveport why go why not go to Menden? like why come to shreveport
1: um well mendon is uh mendon doesn't have the transportation mendon doesn't have what we have to offer um, you know um it's very inexpensive to live in shreveport it's uh, it's very inexpensive to operate in Shreveport. You can probably build in Shreveport cheaper than you, you know build a business or uh, and um, and you know expand your business, move your business in Shreveport less expensive you can in most cities. Um, in in this area, there's there's plenty of buildings available that already have the infrastructure you need. Um, if you'll just take the time to look around, get get with good agents if you're looking into downtown Shreveport. Call Liz and she'll walk you through it. There are people here who will work with you and help you get your business going. Now, then you have to worry about where am I gonna live? And there's still great areas to live in Shreveport that are not what you would consider to be high crime rate. There's still good schools in Shreveport, Bossier. And Bossier's got some great schools, but in Shreveport, even Caddo, there's still some good schools. You know, all of our magnet schools produce uh, great students and some pretty awesome ACT scores. Uh, we have a couple elementary schools, university elementary School, still off the chart with, uh, you know, when it's ranking up against the rest of the state. Um, so, I mean, we're not, you know, the problem is, is so many people focus on all the negative that no one points out all the positive. And so you really need, you know, that's back to the economic development. You know, we need someone who's really pushing that positive to them. Uh, you know, opening here is uh, Is probably easier Uh, this the new um, um, plan that they're trying to put together, trying to get past the MPC. You know, I mean, we've changed uh, board members, we've changed the director of the MPC to try to uh, become more business friendly. Uh, I think uh, city hall is kind of trying to take a more business friendly approach. Um, You know, our mayor is uh, is definitely uh, educated in a in you know. has worked with a lot of different business people, been gone to college, and, and with a lot of different business people, and and he tried to bring in some um, some administration that uh, that I think looks to be more pro business. So, you know, coming here is not um, it's 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 easier, cheaper. We still do have good areas, and it's so much less expensive to live here than it is anywhere else.
0: All right, who's my next podcast guest?
1: Who, that's, that's a tough one. Um, but I, I think i got to give you
0: Randy James. Randy James. Do you think he'd be willing to come on? I'm pretty sure. All right, connect me with him. Send me a text, and I'll, uh, I'll reach out to him for sure. If you could send a text message to everybody in Shreveport that, they, uh, that they'd get right now, what would it say?
1: Um, be more proud of where you live. Um, and and uh, unfortunately, it's not a single answer. Uh, when I had Phoenix Underground and I oh, first opened it up I had a dress code and you know uh I wanted a collared shirt I didn't want t-shirts on I don't want well, guys wearing shorts and people would show up and not in dress code and they, or even if they were in dress code, they'd be like we're in Shreveport why do we have a dress code we're in Shreveport um why not why not I mean you're here um you know if if, if it's that bad leave but reality is just be proud of where you're from be proud of where you're at and um and do what you can to make it better.
0: I like it. Do what you can to make it better. Be proud of where you are. Anything from
2: you? No, we got the chicken and the egg in there. Yeah, that so. we have, it, that's <laughs> yeah. pretty much all we needed to yeah. do.
0: We, had, we it took us two hours, but we got there. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Tim. We really appreciate you being in here today. Thanks so much. No problem.